does not come before salvation, and salvation does not come without truth. I will only tell the truth. I will only tell the truth. People wonder, is he woke or just a new slave? Oh, religion, he just covered it with new change. Trapping out the church, he ain't really fake. He divisive, he don't rep the king. He just wants the fact. Oh, man, now they acting like I'm suddenly political. Here to pod today, y'all. What's going down today? Let's do it. Okay, let's go. Hey, let's go. Hey. hey, it's been like three, three weeks. Missing now? It's been a good three weeks though. Yeah, it's been good to be back, man. I missed y'all. You guys are gonna have to tell me what that song is. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what it is. I'm just not in my head because the beat's fire. Lecrae, facts, F A C T S. going down what's that come on was that mac yeah man i got mav to do a couple drops come on man come on man man. i got mav the what is the last time we did the Uh yeah yeah (laughs) it's so perfect he's ready man he's been working i put a mic in front of him like let's go to it um let's go go. episode four we're back um no audio issues this time no uh, audio we issues. got mics in place. I have a computer that's not going to shut down. We got mics in place. I'm just going to repeat yeah, everything you said like your hype man. <laughs> we new have mics, mics in place. We have uh, a computer that hey. is not going to shut down three times in a row. Less than one So, you know, we fixed Fine. a lot of things. Look, those first three episodes were, were practice. Those were our, they were. our warm-up episodes. Yeah. So Listen, we're talking about <laughs> practice. Not a game. Not a game. <laughs> not a game. We're talking about practice. Yeah. So, um, gentlemen, how yeah, are you that, guys doing? Um, just for everybody, that was not like our air conditioning going off. That was my computer on the verge of breaking down. If you heard fan noise in the first three episodes, so sounded we, like an Xbox 360. God is oh good, God. man. So we back. We're we back. back. Not in AirPods. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? I'm doing great, man. How are doing you? Great. Birthdays all around. Brandon just hmm. had his birthday on the 18th. My birthday Happy the 27th. Birthday. Let's Come go on, on the 23rd, April birthday Jeez. all around. On, yeah, I was going to do songs for all of us, but then that was just a sure. lot of different. We'd have just been listening to music for an hour we're and reaching straight. far and wide. <laughs> and musical genres. This episode, I actually want to start with an interesting conversation that came up recently. My mom took an ancestry test. Mm-hmm. And for those who know me, uh, I've always just shared that I was black, Mexican and Chinese because that's what I was told. Uh, my dad's black. My mom is Chinese and Mexican. And growing up in San Diego, a lot of people thought she was Filipino because she looks Filipino. She has some of the Asian features, but some of the darker skin tone of uh, Mexican side. So she got her results back. She didn't share them for over two months with me. Oh, man. My mom, Mama who and I'm talking about, she was like woke Mexican. She marched with Cesar Chavez. Like she's just about that life Sheesh. when it comes to Mexican uh, culture. Mm-hmm. She is 12% Mexican. 
She's 21% European. Mm-hmm. She is 57% Peruvian. Ooh. Oh. The Asian oh. side is 4% Chinese, 4% Punjabi, which is Indian, which is also on wow. the continent of Asia, and 4% Japanese. Now, I have always just considered myself mixed, so the percentages and the mixture don't impact me. To me, when I heard mm-hmm. it, I laughed and I was like, cool, the kids have more scholarships they can apply for. My <laughs> mom was was literally, she literally had a difficult time because wow. so much of her identity was wrapped mm. up in her Mexican mm-hmm. heritage. So the conversation I wanted to have with you guys to start this episode is the difference between actual ethnicity versus cultural identity. Mm-hmm. And another example of that is there was recently a girl uh, on a red table talk with uh, Jada Pinkett and her daughter and mom. She was a, a black woman who was adopted and raised by a white family. Culturally, she doesn't relate to any of the typically cultural black things that we think about. So I wanted to have a conversation. What do you guys think about that? Uh, how much of your identity is wrapped up in your culture versus your ethnicity? And, and what do you guys think about that? Anyone? Oh, okay. <laughs> um <laughs> Get a big, I've, I've had big. like sprinkles of these conversations uh, actually recently with a couple of people just talking about like, you know, all the stuff that's going on in the world and, and how you identify. And then, you know, there's just a lot of it just seems to be a lot of things that people identify with nowadays. And yeah, mm-hmm. you can kind of like pick up anything you want. Like I can be Jewish tomorrow if I decided to. I was just talking to somebody about this and I think my trainer I was talking to and uh just realizing what I was comfortable with as far as like cultural and identity wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I I relate more to being called black than African-American. And that's just mm-hmm. personally me. And um, what would you they, describe as the difference between black yeah. and African-American for you? Uh, black How would you differentiate is, that? Yeah, yep. sure. I mean, African-American for me is a, a descendant of, you know, the African culture and um, having an in-touch um perspective of where you come from Mm. uh the black culture is those who have been uh you know quote unquote dropped off um Mm. in this time now but also the empowerment of what we identified like in the 60s and the 70s of the american struggle of uh of being you know a minority in america that's black to me in the empowerment and the culture that we built into america coming from Mm -hmm. the south into migrating um i mean even before then like going from the harlem renaissance and and that great migration during that time and and spreading out from uh different you know renaissances that we've had throughout you know history of um of america um that to me is black and the epitome of that is you know i talked to my parents about this too but just how they grew up in 60s and the 70s and and that just being a really strong sense of what black culture was. I mean, you know, we had Black Panthers. We had, uh, you know, songs come out. My parents were at Watts Stacks, you know, a big mm. um, music festival in Watts. Um, you know, my, you know, half of my family also helped, you know, move gang culture in in L.A. And I'm kind of whispering that so they won't hear me. You know, just all those things make up who we are. And and I I think the struggle and the development of who we become as a culture of not knowing makes uh, me identify more with black. Like, honestly, Grant's, you know, more African-American than me. And so (laughs) I have... Like an actual African-American. Yeah. 
and it even goes down to the sense of like you know i have african friends and my african friends are great and i love like discovering their culture but you know my my personal interactions with africans um throughout my life have been always been less than like they would look at me less than they would talk to me less than because it was like this thing of um and it, it was across the board i i can recall every probably almost every conversation i've had it's been across the board like almost like you're, you're just a little beneath them and i'm not talking about you know all of my friends now because my friends are great now again but um there is a sense of of that disconnect where oh they have their traditions and they have their um their world and and they know where they come from to stand on and even coming down to tribes and culture and all that stuff and we don't necessarily have that we have what was given to us and and uh that separation has always caused me to identify more with black than african-american because i was like at the end of the day i really don't know you know where i derive Mm -hmm. from like i just found out my uh one of my great great grandmothers was half white half cherokee and Mm. like i have you know it just it's just so crazy because there's you know, family that have been taken advantage of by slave owners, and then that brings on a whole mixed culture. Yeah, and it, it, it's just a lot of elements. So I identify more more with black, and um, when I look at you know Martin Luther King and Fannie Lou Haber, I think I said her name right, but all those people in those those iconic you know 1960s uh, figures, or even before, I'm a really big fan of Langston Hughes and. They just identify with what, you know, what they thought black was. And Mm. that's what I feel more attached to than, you know, hey, you came from Africa. You know, you did all this stuff. So that's what I'm more comfortable with. Yeah, it's interesting. Something you're talking about, someone always asks, like, oh, have you ever had a desire to go, like, back to the motherland? I don't feel connected to that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if it was because of having a mixed heritage or if it's because identify the black side of me couldn't identifies more with the American black experience versus ties to any country in right. Africa. So Right. And it's and it's real. Like I always joke around like with my African friends now, I just always joke around and say, Hey, I'm Tanzanian. You know, I just <laughs> randomly picked one and was like, Yeah, I'm from Tanzania. So I've been claiming that for a while as a joke, but um I do have a deep desire to 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 look that up. But, you know, um, you know, I talked to my grandmother actually right before this podcast and we we talk frequently about it, about starting a family tree. And, and she tells mm-hmm. me, you know, all the stories of her grandmother and uh, her great grandmother and like the memories that they had. And I had a grandmother who was, you know, who passed on, but was born in 1920. And mm. I used to ask her every single like she was my living history book. Anytime I had mm. history homework, I would say, hey, do you remember this? But it was just fascinating <laughs> wow. to me how she lived through all those decades and yeah. and was able to see culture shift throughout America and how she remembered even um, seeing her grandmother come home with bloody hands from picking cotton and, and like all those things because wow. it was still happening in her lifetime. But um, yet yeah, there is a deep down desire for me to look that up. But um, as I was talking to my grandmother, I found out like some of our records were burned by people who were jealous and didn't want us to have our, um, any record of where we came from. And that was down in Louisiana. So unfortunately, uh, it'll be a lot more work if I did decide to do that, if I can recover that at all. Wow. Brett, yeah. Grant, what about you guys? Man, that was that was 
you unpacked a lot there, B, because I, I really do think that um, I definitely would identify with the black experience. Um, and that, and I think that's what it is. My my history is United States black experience. Um, I mean, my dad had one of those tests too, and it came back it was like fifty percent African Bantu tribes, uh, and then or like forty five percent Bantu tribes, and then it was like Cameroon, like another thirty percent, or maybe I, all I know is that we ended up with twenty five percent Welsh. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> like 25% Welsh and then a few other of these. And, I, and we don't know. I thought my grandmother was more on the Native American side, um, indigenous mm. than anything. Like that's what we had talked yeah. about. And, you know, I think that and we've and we've traced, you know, my, my heritage back to, you know, um, South Carolina, Orangeburg, that kind of stuff. I remember watching Henry Louis Gates when he did the... Uh, when he did the uh, the what does he do the finding your roots and then we had the same we had the same side as P Diddy because he traced his back to Colliers and so did we way back oh. in the south and there were nine wow. slaves from a slave owner so um, I think it's an I think it, I think both of them are important I think ethnicity and cultural identity and the reason why I say that is because I I have talked with people who can trace their ethnicity back to the 1500s, right? There's some people wow. I know that they, they, they've written it down in a Bible and they've kept the lineage and, and they've kept what people have done and, and, there's, and they've unpacked that. And, and what that brings is a sense of value to a person because they're connected with something that's greater than them. It's a legacy. It's a generational legacy that they understand, that they actually say, my great, great, great grandfather was this and this person. So it's like, wow. I'm part of that. So you, 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 it's, it's a bit of, uh, of an identity. Um, it, it's a bit of an identity. It, it helps you with your identity. And, and I think that's I think that's one thing for for us as black people, like the, f the furthest I can go back to is a slave owner named Collier. And, you know, at that time, you know, even the kids, you couldn't get it because they they gave numbers for properties. Yeah. So they didn't even have to list them. So they gave mm -hmm. numbers. So, you know, it, it was just a way for them to get, you know, what, whatever the time period was. But or just even knowing if those kids came from the slave families or from the right. owner. And we don't yeah, know. So it just you don't know and and i think i i think that there's value in at least going back and, and digging but one thing that i i mean and maybe this is why i love jesus so much but you know we we are a part of um we are a part of the inheritance through adoption right so it mm -hmm. doesn't really matter what my name is or the the identity that i was seeking that was cut off the the you know i mean I really believe Christ will work out all things for good that for those that love him are called according to his purpose. And he gave us a name. He has named and numbered us, which is the importance when you don't have, when you can't, when I can't go back to the 1500s and say, you know, as you was my great grandfather and he was throwing them down in Africa, bro. Like he had an arm with javelin. That's where I got it from. He was throwing it yeah. at wild boars. So, but, but, <laughs> He could have been hunting anything, um, but but the point being, the point being is is that you know um, the 
being and having the identity in Christ and, and being a son through adoption. And my name is uh, I'm a part of a family that is everlasting, eternal, and it gives even more weight here, which is which is the importance um, that I find. And then I can be fine with my cultural identity. Right. Like what, what Brandon was saying from, you know, understanding, you know, where we were at in the 60s and the 70s with, you know, um, everything from malcolm to martin to the to the panthers to um just a, a a bunch of different movements and then going back to the renaissance and then going to uh, post reconstruction and different people who were in the office the first black senators the first black uh you know um, congressmen and that yeah. kind of stuff frederick Douglass, going back to that free back black carters in the in the in the 1800s on the baltimore docks or wherever they may be but that's part of my american cultural experience and that makes me American just as much as anybody else. And yeah. it makes me it makes me a black American, but more even more American than anything. So I got the same identity as a, a, as most uh, most people. Yeah, that's really good. As um, we just finished the finale of uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. And it's I know we like had a conversation on one of our first episodes about kind of the history of this country. And it was really cool. One of my favorite uh, plot points that they had through the the six episodes was uh, Isaiah Bradley, who had a very different um, perspective of being hurt, betrayed, and, and even jaded by a country that abused him, rejected him, and erased his history versus Sam, the other dynamic of, well, no, people bled for this country. People helped build this country, so I'm not going to not fight for it and just waste all that effort and all that struggle. So it's really interesting just even seeing the, the dynamics for me. It's because of the different heritage. It's like watching the Oscars. I feel like I could celebrate everybody. It didn't matter what minority was right? going to It's like, awesome. All right, cool. Well, I'm related to them. I'm related to them. I just, uh, I don't want to send my DNA into anybody. My sister, I think, is going to take the test, but I would be interested to see what it is. And I think it's it's just cool to see. But yeah, I agree. Depending on which direction I go, there may be roadblocks on one side and less roadblocks on the other side of my family. So mm-hmm. it is interesting to think about that. Grant, what about you? Just yeah. living in, in different places and like cultural versus ethnic identity. What does that yeah. look like for you? It's, it's interesting because growing up as a white person in Africa um, and even the dynamic that I grew up in initially for the first part of my life, living in a culture where it was clear that we were in the minority but had somehow seized the power and mm. this was minority rule so it's like it's we're, we're not from here and that was even clear in my family line my dad is first generation south african um, my mom's ancestry goes back a couple generations but as white south africans it's clear that we're not from there like that's not <laughs> But at the same time, I am from there because I was born and raised there. And that is my, um, it's my cultural identity. I was born and raised in Africa, in South Africa and everything that comes with that. But then there's this dynamic of for the first part of my life, I was, and not in my family, but as in the culture, raised in a way where um, it was white minority rule. And then all of a sudden overnight it all changed. It's like, hold on, like this is not... It's, it's it's our country as a collective, all of us, because you know we were born and raised here. But in terms of like the 
the whites were not here. Like we, we came in in <laughs> 1652 and did exactly what happened in America. Um, yeah. it was, it was a hostile takeover, you know? Um, so although like my ethnicity is a mixed bag, I'm sure, you know, from my dad's side, Scottish, my mom's side, Dutch and German, um, I don't identify necessarily with, um, those cultures. I did not, I wasn't raised in Scotland or in the Netherlands or Germany. So I, I don't feel any kind of connection or affinity with, with those cultures. Um, but when you talk about, you know, going back to the homeland or the motherland, it's like, for me, that's Africa. And it's weird to say that because when I have conversations with in the United States with black friends and that topic comes up, it's, it's almost awkward for me. It's like, well, I'm a white dude, but that's also my motherland, you know, like that's where I come <laughs> from. I was born and raised there. And, um, yeah. you know, listening to music and I hear something like I can pick out a South African beat or a tune or something in a song. I'm like, wait, that, that resonates with me. Um, oh. and especially the interesting times that we live in now where, um, in the, in the United States where it's, um, I, and I don't necessarily feel like this personally, but it's, it's almost as if there's this narrative of being, a white male in America right now is almost as we're branded as like as the enemy or the oppressor or the patriarchy mm-hmm. or the embodiment of you know misogyny and minority rule and like all of those things um, so having conversations with with black friends um, who are like family um, it's just a very interesting thing when it comes to you know, ethnicity and cultural identity and I've navigated you know born and raised in South Africa for most of my life and then living in the United Kingdom for a while um, and mm. now living in the United States it's almost as if I'm still trying to figure out what my cultural identity is wow, um, because it's like I I was born and raised in one culture which halfway through like split like literally flipped upside down um and then living in the uk and then now in the us it's like wait where do i actually belong like how do i Mm. how do i identify culturally and it's always funny when um there's a comment or a joke about like i am more african-american and like that it always makes me like Ah, I bristle a little <laughs> when when I hear that, just because I I know how valuable that identity is for Black Americans, um, mm. and I don't ever want to, you know, I don't think I've ever used that terminology about myself because I'm super aware of the struggle that it's taken for Black Americans to forge their identity um, and the the struggle that has been the the black experience in America, like Brandon and Brett have spoken about. Um, and there's, there's times when I think about uh, what we call hyphenated Americans, you know, African-American, Asian-American, um, mm-hmm. those descriptors that we give certain people groups. It's like, well, why aren't people that look like me called European-Americans? Because, right. you know, like they they just get to be called Americans, but then everyone else has a hyphenated American. Um, and Almost that, like American means white 
and everyone else has to and that, yeah. Chinese American everything. So. Yeah, that's it, and that that bothers me. And um, it's you know when Brandon was talking earlier, it made me think of the the black and the African American experience was definitely like molded through this um, white minority kind of colonial worldview. Like that's how it all started. Um, And black Americans have had to fight and lose their lives and struggle for generations to actually form an identity that like breaks out of that. It's like we can just lump everyone together into one, one group because that's our limited as, as the, you know, the white colonial slave owner, like all of those things. It's like, well, that's that's just easier and more comfortable for us to like just put everyone into one group, not realizing that like Brett was sharing, his ancestry is Bantu and then there's Cameroon, which is West Africa. Those are not the same place. It's like almost a continent apart. And that's a unique identity. You can't just lump that in with like, well, you're all just one thing. So this, I mean, this conversation, we could spend an entire episode you know, unpacking this and talking about this, but I'm just grateful for the experience and in, in, you know, ancestry and history of my black friends. And then like you, Kenneth, you were talking about how you're mixed and like could identify with a whole number of uh, cultures and ethnicities. And that's what makes it so powerful to be in a community with this kind of diversity. And what, Brett, what you were sharing about um, the adoption into the family of God. Yeah. Um, when when we read in the scriptures, when Paul talks in Ephesians about the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down and we're all one, and this is talking about the mystery of Gentiles now being welcomed into the family of yeah. God and we're all all one. Um, he, like that would have been so profound to read if you were culturally Jewish because in the temple there was literally a dividing wall, like a physical wall. And if you were not a Jew and there were signs on that wall that you're literally taking your life into your own hands if you cross that dividing wall, because if you were not Jewish and you cross that wall, it's like it's game over for you basically because this is a Jewish cultural, like religious thing. And you would not welcome if you were not part of that. Um, yeah. So when he used that metaphor of the dividing wall has been torn down, like that's how serious God is about us being adopted into the family of God, that that wall that could potentially cost you your life if you were a Gentile mm-hmm. is now gone. Um, and we're all we're all welcomed into that family. Yeah, it's interesting because it it I mean, you know, there's no more Jew or Gentile, no more slave or free. We're all one in Christ, uh, male, female and everything like that. It when jesus told us we're all one he knew good and well what he was speaking about i mean he had a zealot sit next to a tax collector at dinner as if zealots weren't out assassinating tax collectors at the time so it's just it it just which makes me think it's a cool topic but then even if my first identity is as a son of god and my identity is in christ and i'm made new then how what's the balance between having a cultural identity so that i can relate to where i'm from and why i feel things why i like certain foods why i like certain music different things like that versus how much of that can actually become a hindrance by holding on to a cultural identity Mm -hmm. that can be used to divide me from people that and i think i always 
mm. forget how diverse our church community is until I go to a conference or travel to mm-hmm. other churches. And I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't the norm everywhere, <laughs> even in right. the house of God. So it, it is right. interesting and, and it's just really cool to think about and um, why we like certain things. And because even in just American, it's very different East Coast, West Coast, Midwest. My wife's mm-hmm. from Arkansas. She has a very different American culture in Arkansas or in Alabama versus Southern California, Northern right. California. Like when we say West Coast, no one's talking about Oregon or Washington. Like when right. we say when we say East Coast, we're not talking about the Carolinas. So there's so many tags we use and we mm-hmm. just assume people know what we mean. But right. it is all the different things that make up who we are is, is really, really cool to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And how I do feel we like come... as we... Oh, go ahead, Brad. No, go ahead, G. I was about to say, like, if we get to that point in our spiritual maturity where we can appreciate our culture our heritage our ancestry our ethnicity that whole package that whole spectrum of things we can appreciate those things but um the overriding umbrella is that we are part of a kingdom culture like identifying with with that culture first and foremost and appreciating the the earthly things that we had no control over you know we didn't we didn't decide you know, Mama G didn't decide that she was going to be 57% Peruvian. It right. just happened. Um, but we can appreciate all of those things while still maintaining, hey, we're not of this world. Um, yeah. And this is just a, a temporary stop with an assignment attached until we get to um, get to the destination. Yeah. That's good, G. I was just going to, I was going to add something very similar to that. And in the fact of like, you know, Adam was here because he was supposed to take care of God's stuff. Like that was his mandate. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. take care of my stuff. Yeah. That's one job. Do. That's, <laughs> you, that's you got one job. And, and yeah. the second right. one is not to get that apple. Right. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't get either one of them. So I got to send Jesus. Um, but, yeah. But like the simple fact that I think that, because I've even was thinking about the cultural identity and what I said before, and I think some of the onus is is on us too. Like, I mean, I I am black and I use black more than African American, but I'm an American, right? So yeah. I'm a Christian American. So because this this country is as much mine as it is anybody else who's here, and even yeah. though I think that we have we got West Coast, right, <laughs> specifically southern california and we got east coast and then we got and then we got you know the south and then we got the midwest i don't i don't think that there's i don't think that and i'll just speak specifically for america i don't think that there's there's a bad connotation to have pride in somewhere where you're from Mm -hmm. um i like i don't i don't think that that's bad uh i think that that actually can give you a sense of self-value and just like Hey, it helps you to navigate, you know, the, the, the beginning stages of your life or whatever the case may be. But yeah. when that when that starts to override or supersede one, I don't think that that should supersede the fact that we should all be Americans. And I think yeah. that's what we see in the media now by being div- divided. Right. Like yeah. it's literally right. you're against me. I'm against you. We're all Americans, but we're 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 putting up these walls. Right. When like you yeah. talked about the dividing wall was taken down but yeah. we don't put our 
um, uh, I mean, it's a collectivism. And, and we don't put that individual experience and that beginning of where we're from ahead of that. And we don't put that uh, of who we are ahead of Christ. And because we are not of this world, we are aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we have the dominion and authority that was taken back by Jesus to be able to speak these things into the situation right. and then also be literally the, 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 the we got to be Jesus in 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 flesh in a sense meaning like not jesus in flesh but just we should have on the clothes of the kingdom we should have on the right. clothes of the kingdom and be the kingdom ambassadors um in, in that aspect so that was really good um but i do have a question for you g it'll probably even take us into the next topic but how do you now navigate the fact that you are african and people look at you a certain way and now look at you as the oppressor even when you come from somewhere else where, I mean, you've, you've seen apartheid, right? Like you've experienced that and gone through that. Right. So like, it's, it's, it's kind of, I would say it's a shot in the solar plexus when you're like, dude, that that's not me, but I'm being lumped Mm -hmm. in based off of my color. Right. And that's a challenge. And even going back to the conversation about apartheid, it's, for the first 14 years of my life, I wasn't really aware of the intricacies and the depth of of what that was until it changed overnight. And I was like, wait a minute, wow. like all of this, like my entire life and my experience of apartheid was very different as a white South African than it was for black South Africans. Um, and for the first 14 years of my life, I was lumped in with the oppressor because that's what we were. Now, I'm not saying that I or my family had an active role in that. I was very blessed that my parents were aware and raised us to... I I distinctly remember um, when I was a kid, we were out somewhere and we looked across. There was like a railway track and there was a fire or something happening across the thing in the family whose house we were at. Like even as a as a joke, the dad asked the kid, oh, what's going on over there? And he used racial slurs to describe what was happening on the other side of the railroad tracks. And then they all laughed. And we get in the car to leave. And my parents said, like, we don't talk like that. We do not degrade mm-hmm. people like that. We do not refer to people like that. Um, so parents. that's how my... That's how I was raised, but now being raised like that in an environment where if you're even talking about ending apartheid or supporting black politicians or black people, like phones were tapped, people were arrested, people disappeared for opposing apartheid. So like that, like being raised like I was in that context with this fear of like, oh my gosh, if we speak out against this, like someone could go to jail or die. Um, and then that transition happening and just all of a sudden, like my eyes being opened, it's like, wow, that really happened. Like this was, this was the law of the land and like, it's, it's tough to, to navigate for sure. Um, but you know, part of me is like, well, my ancestors that had settled in South Africa definitely had a role in, in that, um, in apartheid, in holding onto that power in, in the oppression and, I think one of the the biggest gifts that came out of the end of apartheid was 
when um, Nelson Mandela, who became president, appointed uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu to head up the what they called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And mm. it was almost akin to war crimes. That's how the things that the apartheid government did to black South Africans um, were viewed. But there was an opportunity, there was this window where um, there was listening sessions where you, you know, the, the perpetrators would come and listen to the families or to the victims of the, all of these abuses and hear their experience um, and then have the opportunity to, to reconcile. Like once you've heard the truth, it was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, wow. And the... It's <laughs> intense. Um, and, and in that window of time, if, if you perpetrated any of these crimes or any of these violent acts, um, you would be... And it was a choice as well from the victims to free the perpetrator from prosecution if they listened to your experience and had that moment of reconciliation. That was probably one of the most powerful things that we experienced um, wow. in our country and for the healing of, of our nation, um, where there was responsibility taken for, for their actions. And yeah, it's, and it's a, it's a journey still to this day for me when I, you know, just think about some of the, the experiences and the stories of people that, that I know and that are, are close to me. And it's just like, wow, like that, that really happened. See, that's tough. That's insane, man. It's I'm trying to like Brett said, that sounds intense just coming to hear hear someone out and then you have an opportunity to forgive as well. Mm -hmm. In that moment it sounds like right. um, I think that we don't often talk about the spiritual side of these things, but I know that I mean the word tells us we have an enemy and I think that Satan doesn't care what divides us as long as he finds a way to divide us, whether it's ethnic uh backgrounds, whether it's political uh, ideologies, whether it's what we think, feel, how we look, whatever it is, he's he's after us being divided. And one of the the big things is where that brings us into our second topic: the Chauvin trial who, uh, that just ended, and kind of the the police reform we've talked about, uh, defund the police, police brutality, and which is not a new topic, not a new issue, but it's become more intense of a conversation because we have so much more footage, we have so much more. Uh, time to give attention to these things because we've all been in the house bombarded with with the videos and it's funny we we talked about having this conversation several weeks ago in an episode and it's a topic that seems to always stay fresh there's always a new example and it's there's as the verdict was coming out from the trial literally 30 minutes later there was a another girl uh, who was who was shot in the back by police and I'm not trying to get into a debate of every single person or every single name and um, honestly we don't have the just even I think the emotional capacity to go through everything every single situation but I think that the conversation I want to have is how do we get to the point that our kids aren't having this conversation 20 years from now 30 years from now what does that look like do you guys think there's an answer is it an answer we'll see in our lifetime I think there's a lot of different layers we could go into this um, for police reform. If you guys want to touch on on the trial, I feel like we've been bombarded with that. So um, I don't have a whole lot of interest in getting into that. Uh, I prayed for George Floyd's family and um, I prayed for Chauvin and his family as well, because that's two families that were devastated and torn apart. The issue, I think, 
is I feel like we can't get progress because we refuse to have the conversations that we need to have. The honest, transparent conversations. I think we like to sugarcoat or we like to, we wanna have conversations in a way that makes everybody comfortable, but growth is not comfortable. And growth is impossible if we don't address the truth of things. And the police system, it's not broken. I, I hear people say all the time, oh, it's a broken system. The system is working as it was designed to. Racism is something that is in place to support classism. In order to have private prisons that are making money, you have to have someone that you're okay populating those prisons. I don't think it's training for the police because I've seen too many uh, white mass shooters who just killed several people in a church or just walking down the street with an automatic rifle, either waved at, given drinks of water, um, arrested peacefully without incident, taken to a drive through. And I've seen too many unarmed people of color be given the judge and jury and executioner on a sidewalk. I think the the fact that the, the history of our police started as a group of people who hunted runaway slaves to return them to their masters is also something important to talk about. There's so many different layers and I don't know where the conversation goes. I don't know what the answer is. I know what we have in place is not working. Uh, I know that we need social programs. I know that the police can't be the go-to for every single every single thing. I do believe there are good police officers. We have friends who are police officers. I have uh, cousins who are police officers and correctional officers. And so I know it's it's not every police officer and people say, oh, it's a few bad apples, but one bad apple spoils the bunch is, is the full saying. So I'd love to know your guys' thoughts, just kind of how this week has felt the last two weeks for you. Do you think there's an answer? Do you think we need to start over? Is there a way to fix the justice system and the police system that we have in place in America? Or is this something we just need to start over and figure something else out? It's interesting because what you were saying about how the police complex started was during the, the times of slavery. And it's obviously, you know, being built from there. And um, in my opinion, I think that it's, I was just talking about the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is probably got to be something akin to that that happens in the United States where there's actually recognition of what has happened and what's been going on um, and people taking ownership and responsibility for that and then making a commitment to fixing the system and fixing you know what what had gone wrong in the past but until there's that recognition and responsibility taken it's going to be an uphill battle and right now the way that things are being used to divide americans i don't see that happening because all of a sudden you've got not all of a sudden it's probably been around for a while when we talk about these specific cases of police abuses and police shooting and killing unarmed black people you have what do they call it the the blue stripe oh, the uh, blue the lives matter thing. yeah yeah so it's then you have this whole faction of people who are taking the side of that police system and saying well no 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 if these people just behaved themselves they wouldn't have to encounter the police and the police are just doing their job so if we have millions of people in that camp refusing to see things for what they are and then you know, take responsibility for that. It's going to be a struggle, and it's going to it's going to take an intervention from the Lord to 
kind of move us towards a place where we can start to have these conversations because right now everything just becomes a heated yelling match and if if you're talking you're not listening um Mm. and we've got to be listening and hearing people's experience and with the the rise of you know smartphones and everyone having a video camera on them at all times we're starting to see exactly what's going on and um, it just breaks my heart to think about all the ones where there wasn't a crowd of people present with a cell phone to record what was going on yeah um and those families might not ever get the i'm not saying the the resolution because like their their family member can never be brought back but just that sense of closure in a way that you know the the person who perpetrated that crime is you know now facing the consequences of their actions so yeah it's it's heartbreaking and i feel like um there might be a sense of closure for the family but like we've heard all week it does not bring george floyd back like he is not here anymore yeah. um yeah we've seen it, people say tough. stuff about like he sacrificed himself for like no he his family wants him here this wasn't a right. martyr situation this was cops right. aren't supposed to kill guilty people either whether it's like just comply i've seen people i literally watched a video of a dude drive down the street in a stolen police car with a police officer hanging off the side i saw another white dude who like beat two officers with their own um flashlight and took off so it's not it, right it, it, we can't just we have too many examples where we can't just make this argument yeah. but but also hearing you know after the fact the killer in Kenosha, I think, in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, the kid that came from Illinois drove across state lines with a semi-automatic weapon and killed people. Um, there were police officers who donated to his GoFundMe for his defense case, and I'm yeah, like, Kyle Rittenhouse. Like, yeah. If that if that is happening, where it's like you know, almost like you're doing the Lord's work, was you know, like that's kind of the attitude amongst law enforcement who are giving that guy water and you know, gently putting him under arrest, almost like, well, everyone's watching, we have to do this, versus what we see in other situations where you know people like George Floyd end up dead i think that as long as as long as people's skin color is seen as a weapon they'll never be seen as unarmed it's mm-hmm. not it's clearly not the guns that make people uncomfortable and and in this country right. it's so politicized that everyone's being forced to take a side so we're arguing black lives all lives blue lives i saw a, a pastor who uh who's been in our church a pastor who i've hosted post uh justifying a 13 year old being killed and in my mind i just thought i don't care what your political views are i don't care what your ethnic background are if we are pastors if we're a shepherd someone just a seventh grader was killed regardless of what was in their hand what wasn't in their hand regardless of the situation to justify that and not to have compassion for a mom who lost her child a middle schooler it's just we're so deep into this division i don't like you said i don't know if we can have a conversation as long as we're dug in the sand and, and, and picking these sides. But Brett, Brandon. Do it, B. Mm-hmm. I'm yielding to you. Um, yeah, I don't know if I really have much to say on this. Uh this is a repetitive conversation and frankly it almost like bores me a little bit because mm. we keep having the same thing over and over again and it just makes me upset. Um yeah. it's it's bad because um, you know, during the last year of, of this stuff I was 
I actually had a dream. I think I said it before, but I actually had a dream that I was like on the porch of a great, 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 great grandmother. And she was holding me in her lap like I was younger. And mm. we were both crying the same tears because uh, the racial injustice that was happening now and um, obviously the racial injustice that happened in slave time. So um, it's a really difficult subject to try to come up with any solutions because there's just a lot that comes with it. So there is um, every time it seems like we as a culture have um, a vision of equality, it gets killed literally, you know, through whatever vessel um, happens um, to start, try to start a movement or anything or um, we're just too divided culturally. You know, I remember posting about love and trying to find hope and follow God in this in this time of like racial inequality and, and you know, some people weren't with it. But um, I really have a difficult time, you know, being a, a kid from South Central Los Angeles, uh, you know, dealing with um, racial equality inequality, excuse me, um, and then still getting texts about, you know, such and such got killed by, you know, at the hands of another black person. So yeah. um, it's always been a conflict for me, but, and I've tried to have like more empathy in this past year, but it's really a struggle, you know, just as an LA kid to experience those two dynamics of, okay, we're trying to progressively move forward, but at the same time, um, we have a culture that don't really know how to express themselves and how frustrated they are. So gang culture still advances at its highest, you know, especially during the pandemic, there was a lot of gang culture that, you know, no one addressed, but we um, wanted to march nationwide for uh, George Floyd or for Breonna Taylor or for Ahmaud Aubrey, which is just, you know, rightfully so, but um, nobody's really doing that in the hood. So um, yeah. it's really hard to say like, do, is there a solution? Like, you know, will, you know, our kids be able to see this? I mean, you know, um, the biggest answer I have is I hope so. But at the end of the day, like, even if it, it's not this, I have to try to do my part in order for them to have an easier way or to show them how to transform themselves mentally to uh, not just be another angry, you know, black person or whatever, whatever race you are and try to um, express yourself in a way that's very damaging to society or may put you in harm, but be frustrated, but be about that action and try to positively, you know, change uh, others around you and try to positively channel that frustration into something that's constructive. So yeah. um, it's hard to get everybody on board with that, but it's also just hard to say, man, like this is a, a very cloudy, very dirty mirror that, you know, a lot of people um, are not willing to see their reflections or try to clean that mirror off. And uh, it's been more fingerprints than um, a solution to trying to clean it. So it's really difficult. Yeah. Brett? Well, I, I feel what everybody is saying. And I think that when we talk about the loss of life, it's ir it's irreprehensible any way that you look at it. Um, I have a lot of hope for this conversation. I'll tell you why. I think the biggest challenge that you all have also presents the biggest opportunity to be able to mm. move forward. It, yeah. it is the biggest challenge that we have. It will divide. I mean, it divides the church. And here's the thing I think that you, yeah. you could even and notice in that is that 
we have been able to talk about the same Jesus, go to the same services and do all of these things uh, together. But when it comes to this topic, it divides us, which actually is is a is a I think that can show a false unity. So there's an opportunity for us to get together even more during this time. I think That's conversations good. I think conversations like this are absolutely uh, this is my second conversation like this today and I'm sure everybody's probably had this already like three <laughs> times today and you know the reason why I don't think it gets old for me is because I think it's an opportunity for healing I think it is an opportunity for us to come to the table and to talk about the different disparities or even different things that you know we may uh, we may be able to see if someone else presents some facts or some things in a different light, it may give us a different viewpoint or idea, or maybe not. But I think the fact is, is like, can we continue our relationships and still have differences of opinion on some yeah. of the most difficult material that that's coming up? I mean, because if we're Christ followers then we should be able to talk about anything. But there's a couple of things you don't talk about in the church. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about race. And God has changed that. He has, by his providence, he has made it come smack dab up in our face that we actually have to deal with it. And we have to talk about it. And we have to do something about it. And we can't ignore it. it. It, 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 it's not an opportunity to ignore it. It doesn't even, there is no way you can even try to live under a rock <laughs> with what's going on. You can't do yeah. it. You just can't. So, yeah. you know, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, but like, I do think it's irreprehensible. No one deserves to die. No one deserves to die. It, no one deserves to be um, discriminated against. I think there's a difference between racism and I think in discrimination. I think that yeah. they they may have similar aspects, but I think sometimes we call uh, different things what they may not be properly the term the per, the terminology may not be correct. I think that um, you know we have since this nation has been installed, we've always probably we've fought our fights, you know, and we've had our hard times just like any other thing. I mean, it, it, we got to let history be our guide, um, and every nation yeah. and every place always will have their difficulties. I think. When we talk about um, police and we talk about patrollers, patrollers came from the word patty rollers. That's the overseers of the slaves. But we did have police before that. Maybe not police in name, but we had constables. We had other things that were basically um, uh, serving or protecting or guiding or crime prevention and that kind of stuff. And that's an old English concept. So it has been occurring for a long time. Now, it... It has changed just like America has changed. But my personal opinion is, is that and Kenneth, we kind of talked about this briefly, but I also think that there's a bit of gaslighting going on. And I think that Mm -hmm. there's gaslighting on um, um, by by the by the media, because if we don't focus on some of the other problems that are just as prevalent within our community. Right. Socioeconomic poverty. Right lack of education, right? Drugs in the community, these other things that are create a vicious cycle. And it's not saying that there aren't things that need to be handled in the in the police department or or even different things that we can kind of uh, do for um, 
changing some things or, or rules or whatever the case may be. It's not to say that, but it is to say that if well, whatever we focus on, it will expand. And yeah, most of the people that I've I, I and I don't and I mean I I'm 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 a suburb dude who came into all parts of the hood later on <laughs> as an adult when I had no money. <laughs> so, so, but like, you know, that's just how that went. But, uh, you know, and even asking probably Brandon, like most of the stuff that goes down, at least when uh, for, for us as black people, it doesn't really get caught by the camera. Like, I mean, some of it does, but everybody that I knew and had experiences with like it wasn't getting caught by camera so some of the stuff there's 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 always an ends to justify the means and i think that i think kenneth what you did say i mean we do have a prison industrial complex system that is real in this society like it is real and it is a it is a class warfare but i but i also think that the manipulation of certain things to make them appear to be something that they're not people have something to gain and profit off of that Things that don't sell, that won't get any eyes or any views, people don't buy and they don't put up. And, and yeah. I think that that's a I think that that's an issue too as well. Not to detract, not to detract from the other issue, but but right. I think that that's an issue too. I think if we're going to talk about the problem, we got to talk about all facets of the problem, and and continue to 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 get this dialogue going and to continue to find out what you know, what I, what, what G knows, what, what Brandon knows, like the different experiences in the background. Um, but yeah, man, it's a, it's a tough topic, but I, my, my ultimate point is, is that I do have hope because I think that this is the greatest opportunity. And I think that the church could lead the way on this. And if the church could lead the way on this, bruh, like if we could lead the way on several topics, if we could just get to the point where, we could have the conversations without feeling attacked or triggered or I did if we found our identity and our unity in the gospel versus in in all these other things because like you you said it's in the church I saw more Christians tripping politically over the last year and a half than people in the world that's real I was like wait a minute like wait I thought I thought Jesus like Nazareth we not we don't remember any of that. Like, just like, wait a minute. I thought we were, mm. we were all one. We're mm. the people. Mm. We're the church. And 2020 was, like, so was a year of exposure. Exposure. That's real. And we're supposed to be different. But I, it didn't always look like it. And again, right. I think sometimes in, in our church bubble, I'm grateful for our, our pastors and a diversity of community. It's I agree with you, Brett. There, there are people that are fighting for clicks. There's networks that are fighting for eyes and 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 ratings. And so they're going to use what sells and tragedy sells and division sh- sells. So it's like, OK, let me hype up my audience so that I can compete with this other networks that's hyping up their audience. And there are real life consequences to these things. But right. you can't sell me the narrative that all white people hate people of color. I have too many friends in my life who don't look like me, who are white, that I love, who love me. I have too many people from different nations. I mean, 75% of the kids at our church are mixed. So it's like, so I, I know, it, I, one, I know it's possible. Two, I know that the narrative you're selling me is one perspective and, again, a tool of the enemy. But how do we have those conversations? Someone emailed us a question. How are we able to disagree and still have our friendship, still have respect for each other? My answer for that is that I can disagree with anyone who is informed. If someone 
has an opinion that they're either parroting or repeating um, or is they're just quick to run with misinformation or anything that makes them feel good, but they're not the type of person to get informed, to actually do the work or to listen, then I don't really have energy for that conversation. Mm -hmm. But I think with with the four of us, I know that if you guys are sharing something, you're not just sharing something that someone else repeated or said somewhere. You've actually taken the time to process and think about it and and Mm -hmm. and know why you're saying what you say. And I think that's a key for me. But there's no apathy here. Right. So how does it so how does the church lead that conversation? How do we do that? I mean, I think I think like what we're doing in here, I think there do there do need to be different voices. But I think that we really need to listen to one another. I think if the baseline is love, because at the end of the day, the relationship is more important. Meaning that if the relationship that we've cultivated, if we've been through the trenches, right? Like if, if you know what I'm saying, Kenneth, you're bringing me food at night because my wife is hungry and I got a broken leg and I can't get out, right? Yeah. Or you, you know what I mean? That, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. the, the stuff that like, Someone will stand at your side and die and fight that battle with you. I, I think that that overrides a, a, the fact that we may disagree on certain topics or, you right. know, I may think this way about something. And ultimately, even the differences, I think, sometimes will play up fear and it plays up fear in the sense of like, I don't agree with that because if that means this then this means this and this means this and blah, 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 blah. And and the fact is. Look, I love you. I can have my uh, opinion. I can be informed, but I'm still going to listen to you because you may say something that I don't really know. Yeah. But we got to be open. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. And I think it's going back to that conversation of, you know, we're of a different kingdom. We're not of this earth. And when we think about that kingdom culture and knowing that these are my brothers and that supersedes everything. So we may have an opinion of something that is part of an earthly system or organization. We might agree agree or disagree on, on those things, but ultimately, um, this is my brother, we're of a different kingdom and knowing that the scripture says that people will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. Yep. And if I'm not able to put aside a disagreement that I have about the American political system manufactured by human beings, um, right. <laughs> exactly. so that I can love, so that I can love my brother <laughs> in Christ, who, in light of eternity, like this, that's the important thing because people are going to be like, oh, they really love each other, but they can disagree on politics, on universal healthcare, on education, (laughs) on free college, on student debt cancellation, on the right to clean water in Michigan. Like we can agree or disagree on all those things, but knowing that those are things that are important in our lifetime, yes, but in the light of eternity, what is important that we love one another and that love then witnesses to those outside of the faith and be like oh my gosh the god that they serve i want some of that because i can see this genuine love that they have for one another and that can only come from one place because i don't see that anywhere else yeah so i think that's one way of it's interesting over the last year i've had really good conversations that have strengthened relationships with different people and i've also had other conversations where if your goal in a conversation with me is for me to prove to you that racism still exists, I love you. I don't have the energy. It, 
at that point. Like it just the the best way I can describe it is as a man, I can't relate to women who I've never been afraid of what someone was going to do to me because I didn't give them my phone number or didn't return their advances or followed around a grocery store or the mall and harassed. I've never experienced sexual harassment the way my female friends or my wife have. But I also am not stupid enough to think it doesn't exist just because I haven't experienced it. And there are women I care about. I have a daughter. So I have to do what I need to do to make sure I understand it and that one, I don't contribute to it and that I raise my son in a way that he doesn't contribute to it. And I think that's one of the big things like Grant, you just touched on. If we're all made in the image of God, whether we acknowledge him or not, if I look at you and before I see anything else, I see the image of God in you that is in me and I treat you with that in mind, that should supersede anything else. And I think there's a lot of people who can't relate or empathize with with certain struggles because they're not their experiences and it's if you have black friends and you can't empathize with what is going on in this country with what we have so many examples and evidence of then i would say you probably don't have black friends you know some black people in the same way that if i can't empathize with the struggles that women go through i've never gone on a first date and called someone and told them like hey i'm going on a date this is what she drives this is where we're going just in case something happens text me at this time i've never but i empathize with those things because i know they're something that someone i care about has to deal with and Yeah, I think the conversations, we have to get to the point where we talk about racism in this country. We talked about it a while ago that it's in the DNA of our country. I don't think it's just a bad habit. We have to address our shadow. We have to address our family of origin. We have to address the the roots of our country. And that's part of who we are as as an American country. It's it's there. And if we don't address it, we're too uncomfortable to talk about it. Then it's like Brandon said, it's just going to be a cycle. A year from now, it'll be the same thing. Nothing will happen. We'll care for a week. There will be a new hashtag, new shirts, and nothing will change. And I think that the most frustrating thing for me about racism specifically is that I feel like it's simple to change, but difficult. If one generation decided to not teach their children about hate for each other, we could erase racism in one Mm -hmm. generation but hate is taught and there's people who if we could have more parents grunt like yours who pull their kids aside and is like hey we don't do that we don't speak that way about each other we don't we don't do that we don't denigrate people that way i think that's the answer but Mm -hmm. moving on from from the heavy topic go ahead yeah it's gonna be just one last thought it's gonna be tough when we have elected officials too in the past week who I would put this in the same category as Holocaust deniers. They're like, oh, that doesn't exist in America. When flat out asked about um, the effects of of racism and the the systemic nature of that in the United States, boldly and confidently deny its existence. Um, If those are the people who are crafting legislation and making decisions yeah. about the, the trajectory and movement of our country. It's going to be an, an uphill battle, which is why even though we're citizens of heaven, it is important to be civically engaged so that people like that don't end up in the positions that they're in because ultimately the citizenry has the power to put people in those positions who represent and speak for them, yep. um, contrary to what they would like you to believe, the ones that are currently elected. Um, because once you get into that seat, you do everything in your power to hold on to it. Um, 
and that's what they don't want the citizens to know it's like man and we've seen we've started to see waves of that where people get fed up and it's like hold on this dude does not represent me or my community anymore it's time for a change so um i think we need to start seeing more of that as well in terms of our civic engagement and having people represent us who truly do just that that's really who actually understand the people and represent the people so actively um, engage civically that's really good g uh, so I'm going to use this as an opportunity coming out of this heavier topic to share a cultural secret for some people who may not know. So there is a song for people of color that if you play a song at any time, it automatically lightens the mood, automatically cheers people up and it just feels good. It's impossible to hear the song and not be in a good mood. Going to continue to pray, continue to have tough conversations, uh, continue to to love people that don't look like us or think like us. I'm grateful for y'all, man. I appreciate y'all. Back at ya. We appreciate you and all your mixed ethnicities, brother. <laughs> Listen, I got away from my dad's results now. My mom came back 1% Kenyan and 1% Nigerian, Hello. so. Let's go. She got a percentage of everything. All right. So I'm going to get to our last topic. But yeah, you know what? On the issue of cultural identity, I feel like that's why I love food. There's nothing to me more intimate than a, mm, the, mm, cu- mm. the food of a different culture. Yeah. I feel like when you share your food with people, that's sharing who you are. The mm-hmm. the dishes your parents grew up making, your grandmother grew up making. I love mm. experiencing cultures through different food. My wife and I talk about traveling through food. We want to go to a tour on South Italy and learn how to cook from different people's grandmothers. I don't care about Ooh, all the tourist good. spots. I want to take a culinary vacation through italy mm-hmm. and just taste the the you know the amalfi coast and and different recipes but well, our last sense. topic to because you're peruvian you're primarily peruvian you know? i mean <laughs> right? that's basically right. at least half at least right. half right so, least so right and peruvian food is amazing oh yeah i know I've oh had my it. gosh it's so good i know i love it now it i gotta learn so to cook good. it i will say i failed as a son because i started making jokes when my mom told us i didn't know she had been holding on to the results for several months and Anjali told me oh, to stop because no. you know I, I never feel like there's an inappropriate time, and that's like, <laughs> she's like babe, that's not the appropriate time. I don't know because I felt like it was right, but yeah. So, my bad, mom. That I is love funny. You, but we're gonna get some food. Mama G. Mama G. Last topic, yes. gentlemen, before we get out of here. Outside is opening back up, movie theaters, restaurants. Uh, Tuesday, we took the kids to the zoo for the first time. Uh, hey. It was so real. It was amazing, man. Maverick got to see all the animals that he's seen on BBC specials live and in person, or at least a good amount of them. Um, oh, my God. It was incredible, man. How? So two questions to end on. One, what has sustained you guys over the last 12 months? Um, what has been the thing that has refreshed you over the last 12 months? And then two, what are you most looking forward to about getting outside? Are you excited? Are you anxious about it? Are you hesitant? about it like i know grant just went out for your birthday this past week and went out to eat what did that feel like it was interesting i felt safe because we were outside and 
the crew I was with was vexed up. So um, it was, I felt safe, but it felt weird at the same time being around that many people. Um, I felt like I kept looking around like, man, this feels illegal. Like, <laughs> like, I, this should, like I should not be allowed to be doing this after the last year of being told like, like, like none of this was allowed. So, but at the same time, it was, it was like a sensory overload and eating food that someone else had cooked that tasted different, that wasn't my own cooking or like a, like a fast food takeout that all tastes the same. Mm. It was wild. We went to a independent uh, Mexican restaurant in Highland Park and it was, it was incredible. It was such a great experience. And I, I think the thing that excited me was seeing the excitement of other people just to be out. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, we're kind of returning to being around other people because, you know, the thing that has sustained me is my community of friends, um, obviously, and, you know, obviously our, our faith and friendships and like the, the human connections that are close to me. But there's just something about being out. Like I had random spontaneous conversations with strangers. Mm. Um, I don't know if that was because it was heightened by where we're back out in the world and everyone's just excited to be around other people. But there's so much opportunity for connection and great conversations with people who are not in my immediate circle when, when things are open and outside and, you yeah. know, like walk into the restroom at a, at the restaurant and you, you know, chat to someone while you're waiting to go inside. And it's just, it was like just all the, all the emotions, feeling some big feelings when I went out again. And I'm, I'm just, I'm excited <laughs> for, for more of when that. you had those yeah. conversations where you're looking over your back, like this feels illegal. I can't be talking right? to this person. I don't <laughs> no, know. literally it's <laughs> like, man, it's like, it's, it's not in the bubble. It's not like someone who I know, um, but yeah, it's good, man. It felt good. You know what's interesting? Brett was talking earlier about how tragedy sells. So if you're just looking at news or social media, a lot of it is things are, it's it's the world's falling apart. Everything's going to crap. But it's funny because we go on walks regularly with the kids. It feels like people are a lot more friendly than they used to be just because right. I think people miss people yeah, people have conversations and people always they're excited to see babies and kids but it just feels different and doesn't matter what age doesn't matter what um color doesn't matter what just people are there are people who don't even speak english who just are trying to communicate with us when we're going on walks and it's people yeah. are just i think we miss people it's almost like we have this collective trauma we've been through mm -hmm. and we have this thing mm -hmm. that that bonds us and it's like yo i can relate because i've mm -hmm. been through some life and i know you've been through some life the humanity seems at least in personal interactions the humanity right. just seems to be heightened i, I love that i agree 110 percent. i will be in a movie theater to see black widow i will be in a movie to see every marvel movie this year i'm excited about getting back to the movies in disneyland i won't be there april 30th in that first group but we will be back there soon <laughs> Brett, Brandon, what has sustained you guys? What are you guys, how are you guys feeling about outside opening back up? Man, well, I know Brandon's you... been out. Brandon's, Brandon's been at every coffee shop in LA. And Brand, every time I see Brandon, he's out eating somewhere. And I it's actually let him have it because my phone didn't ring. I thought my phone was broken. So I thought I needed a new <laughs> computer and a new phone because I never got an invite. I never got a text, never got a call. So I've realized I just need to call Brandon's parents and stop dealing with Brandon because Brandon is a shady friend who won't invite you anywhere. But, but how have you sustained over the last 12 months, Brandon? Um, I'm trying to think, man. I'm, I'm so sleepy and I need to, and I'm fading. 
<laughs> it just passed my bedtime. Is there more than one? Where's your wine at? Man, I feel like I'll be slumped over if I had that wine tonight. But. We'll, we'll make sure we get some more dating questions for you next episode so you could be, so you could be some, charged something, up. Something to charge me up. But um, <laughs> what sustained me has been uh, golf. Um, I was able to take that up during the pandemic, and that has been open with restrictions. And, you know, now they're lifting with a little bit more leniency. But uh, that has sustained me a lot. Um, it brought a lot of community. It brought a lot of uh, new brotherhoods and just having fun and being frustrated probably like 99% of the time because uh, golf is not easy. Golf is hard. But uh, that has sustained me throughout the pandemic and uh, coffee shops have been sustaining me. I had made it a point to just go out and, uh, well, before when you couldn't go anywhere, uh, one of the most recession, I'm not recession proof, but pandemic proof um you know, facilities were coffee shops because you were able to grab it and just go. Mm, and so that used to be my excuse um, to get out the house. So I was I was into it before the pandemic, but it heightened during the pandemic time and the time that we were locked down because that was one of the only places I can go. Um, I have made it a, a huge a point to uh, make sure I support restaurants during the pandemic time because I really felt bad for uh, the whole, you know, the restaurant industry and how they weren't getting help. So I was making it a point to, you know, adjust budget, make sure I go eat at a restaurant and yeah. um, make sure I at least 20% and I made 20% my tipping thing, uh, you know, my tipping standard during that time just to help out because I just felt so bad. Even if it, it was just my one transaction, I just felt bad. And I started uh, being generous with, uh, you know, buying multiple meals and, and passing them out to friends from restaurants yeah. that I really love too as well. So that sustained me a little bit more. Um, Never got one of those meals, but I just... I did offer you one meal, but you said Anjali didn't, didn't uh, eat fried chicken, but, you know, it's all She good. doesn't. She's from Arkansas. My wife doesn't <laughs> I, like fried I, I, chicken. I still don't, I still don't understand. It's, it's she said she had it too to much growing day. up. I said after all still, chicken has done like, for the you people can take off the bread of America. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> What'd you do with the fried chicken, though? That's the I right. gave it to another, I gave it to another, um, you know, another couple who said yes, so... I mean, but I, like, I said yes. That's just one of I us. Know you could have brought something else. Talk it. Um, <laughs> uh, California opening up is, is I'm really excited for some of the things. Um, as you know me, I'm a concert person, so I'm really excited to do that. I actually bought tickets to a concert that's happening, like, you know, in the fall. And I'm going to Who? a Dodger game tomorrow. Uh, Karungbin. Hey. Okay. One of my favorite groups. So they're a cool, like, jazzy indie group. Yeah. Um, uh, and they've been doing a lot this past year. So they're one of my best, my favorite albums of 2020, um, besides Tame Impala and stuff like that. But um, I'm going to go see them at the Greek Outdoor. Um, I'll be fully vaccinated by that time. So, hey. um, you know. I feel great about it, and uh, I'm just really anxious to get great. to the Hollywood Bowl, and um, hopefully something's good there. And I'm really anxious to go see the Dodgers, which I'm going to go see tomorrow. But uh, I'm really not excited about traffic, man. I went traffic to is go, back. It's picking back man, up. I it's went back to up. downtown on purpose during the pandemic to go to restaurants down there because I knew I could get there in 15 minutes. Now I'm just like, man. No, it took back. me an hour to get to a golf course today, and I wasn't excited about it. It took me 20 minutes to get to church yesterday on Sunday. Sheesh, man. And you live so close. It's not like right. you live far. On Sunday, there was yep. traffic. I was like, L.A. is already, yeah, people are already terrible. in the streets. 
and it's right. like earlier too okay. and there's like there's like a new breed of drivers too um you know there's there's a few <laughs> like it, it's really weird now they're because, out of practice yeah so there <laughs> exactly. there's a new breed of drivers that's driving crazy like everybody has a somewhere to go and granted that did happen before this whole thing started but this time like they're going crazy on like yeah. especially the 405 I've seen every single day I've been on the 405, I've seen people weaving in and out of the carpool lane, like tailgating people. It's just wild out here. Yeah. I don't know what's happening, wild but West. they're going crazy. Yeah. Brett. Wild West. What are you excited about, man? How, how have you sustained over the last 12 months? Are you ready to be out, family being out? What's going on? I absolutely, we actually got a chance to, to go. Um, we have a missions trip, so we went to uh, Solvang. Um, hey. yesterday Dude, so love it Solvay. was um yeah bro it was my first time there so oh, wow. we got okay. to we got to go to um Santa Inez mission y La Parisima ah, hey. so um I think that <laughs> La Parisima <laughs> let's go um, <laughs> um you know man I think what sustained me during this whole time is uh relationships um which is crazy because I think because of the lack of just the whole dynamic of everything getting thrown off man i was talking to more people on the phone than yeah. i ever had like i was calling people i hadn't talked to in years and i was you know obviously like they'd be like well obviously i can answer your call because this is what's going on but they would tell me they would they would catch me up to date with like their life and kids and that kind of stuff and you know then i had a role of people that i would just constantly call and contact and yeah and you know it, it and i think that 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 really sustained me because it gave me um even though things literally shut down and closed in we had ways to be out and still connecting with people now did it get old quick yeah i mean zoom fatigue was real and all yeah. that kind of stuff as well but like the balance with that and then having the relationship of my family and then the other relationships that I would cultivate, man, it was, and, and obviously my relationship with God, that was the key thing that sustained me. I'm excited to get back. Um, I, man, I, you know, I don't really know necessarily what I'm going to do other than the fact that I can get my son out of the house freely. Ooh. That's all that really matters because he cannot be bottled up. So the fact that I can go to a museum possibly now, yeah. like, other than the park is exciting. I don't even really know what I'll do. That's not even really part of my. <laughs> it's just I got something to do with him to occupy him, take him to the to the beach to swim or something like that. I don't know. It's real, man. It's that that dad life. We our trips have all been places I've wanted to take the kids. I grew up in San Diego, so the San Diego Zoo is world renowned. We when we went Tuesday to the zoo, that was my first time ever at the L.A. Zoo. And we just went because it was convenient. It was close. And, you know, sad, for, for the kids, it's like a starter zoo. So, yeah. you know, we'll get them to the, the real zoo later on. But we went to the aquarium. All of our outings have been based around them and just going places with them, just getting them out the house and wanting them to see different things. And but like for me, like I said, I'm, I definitely will be at the movies for anything Marvel, yeah. Star Wars related. I'll, I'm going to be like Brandon. I don't even care what the movie is at this point. Exactly. Um but yeah, I it's definitely just been me and eighty year olds, bro. Yeah, I <laughs> just want to want to get out and, and do it. some stuff. So I'm excited to to have some people. Uh, Anjali just got her first uh, Moderna shot on Wednesday, and uh, my good. first okay. shot of Pfizer is on the third. So I think that'll get us 
uh, to the point where we feel more comfortable just having people over, mm-hmm. being with people, and, and then workouts. That's been a big thing that has been recent for me, working hey, out um, in the mornings it, with bro. Brandon and Julian. Good and uh, Shout out Diego, D-Fit. Yeah, D-Fit uh, hit him up LA. on Instagram, get your life right. Um, but, yeah, man, D-Fit. it's 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 really been convicting about getting physically fit, spiritually fit, financially fit, and then relationally fit focusing on the relationships that I really want to spend time with. We talk to our parents more than ever in this time with FaceTime and we would FaceTime different people and call more. I'm not a phone person at all. And I've called people more often just to check on friends and see how people are doing. But yeah, I'm excited just to be around people again and for it to to feel good. Being at church yesterday felt incredible. Um, Just seeing people, even with masks, I didn't even care. Just seeing people and, and being back and worshiping with people in a room together it just it felt amazing mm-hmm. so i'm excited but that's really cool that's what's up man love y'all man i missed y'all computers yes, working sir. i don't hear any fans brandon me neither man right God my is computer good. didn't you freeze won't he do it a cool breeze yeah man so uh we and love I got y'all. the mic yeah and brett got the mic no more in the closet talking the on the phone the no more McDonald's. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right uh anybody the out there who needs any voice over work audio books Voice uh, Brett, call your Brett got you covered. Yeah, I was about to say your app, but I can't say your app because you're still not on social. Nope. Uh, and you I'm not going to put your phone number on, on the podcast. But uh, yeah, hit I'll Brett up. You, boy. Um, thank you guys as always. If you need a Bible reading, call me. I'll read the Bible. King James, ESV, <laughs> NIV, Amplified. What you want, wow. I got it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he said, in the beginning. Yeah, all state, all state commercial, <laughs> anything you need, we got you. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for for being with us as always. Uh, shout out to our first time listeners, last time listeners. Yeah. Thank you guys for the support, for the love, for the feedback. Thank y'all so much. Uh, if you guys have anything you want us to talk about, any questions you have, hit us up p thirty two pod at gmail dot com p three two pod at gmail dot com. Uh, we love y'all. We are going to love end with so a song much. from. Uh, family, Megan sure. and Teddy, a song that they came out with Come in the on. middle of the pandemic okay. that Wait, it just feels like a, a, a good note to end on. So we love y'all yeah. and we'll see y'all sooner than later. Peace. People out here stocking up refrigerators. Stores are empty, but the fear's getting greater. Hit the black market just to find toilet paper. <laughs> it's gonna be alright. It's gonna be alright, y'all. We love y'all. We'll catch y'all next time. Alright, y'all. Know the world is Peace. Itself Some have said that we should try social distance. But we have a model that we can live in It's gonna be alright It's gonna be alright It's gonna be alright